We read a, a summary of Scripture earlier in those articles of the Canons of Dort, and, and now we're going to read a few more select verses about this topic. They're from Psalm 51, as well as Romans 3. Let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then from Romans, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I've said this um, in a couple of different ways before uh, in the first two messages in this series uh, last month, um, though a lot of people talk about the Canons of Dort as um, the summary of, of Calvinism, a summary of the Reformed faith, that's not quite correct. Um, we see, like in the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, uh, the Westminster Catechism, uh, what Reformed people believe about a much wider variety of biblical topics. But what we could do is call the, the canons a summary of the Reformed view of salvation. It's about salvation specifically. And, and you know, thinking about it that way, that means that um, the canons of Dort are about something very wonderful indeed. They, they show us uh, that, that salvation is all about God's sovereign grace. God's sovereignty, that, that term, uh, gets at his power, his plan, his providence, his rule. And grace, of course, is God's undeserved favor and love and mercy. And, and so, though, though some people claim that the canons are, are, are quite harsh, what they're about is something very, very beautiful. And, and, and that makes that word tulip, to summarize their teaching, a very appropriate word because a tulip is a flower. And flowers are beautiful. On my week off a few, uh, a few weeks ago, I took um, three of my daughters uh, to the Field Museum. And in the field museum, you know, whether it's flowering plants that you're looking at or, or non-blooming plants, animals, that hall of gems, and that jade room, um, we, we saw all those things. There's so much beauty, and, and you can go from place to place in the field museum, right, and, and read about and see all of these beautiful creations of God, and, and like, like anything of beauty, whether it's architecture, uh, your spouse, music, you want to 
You want to take it in, appreciate it, wonder at it, analyze it, immerse yourself in it. Um, and and that's, that's, that's kind of the idea behind this little series. And we're doing it now because it's the 400th anniversary since the canons came out of the great Senate of Dort. We're just two days from the anniversary of its start. It met from November 13, 1618, until May 9, 2019. And I thought what would be really cool is to have a sermon series on that Senate and the canons weekly during that whole period. But I thought that might be just a little too much beauty for most of us. Several sermons is going to have to do, okay? So taking the order of the topics in uh, uh, the canons, we first saw how sovereign grace is conceived in unconditional election. So that's putting it just a little bit different way than I did a month ago. How is sovereign, canons are about sovereign grace, how is it conceived? Unconditional election tells us. All Christians believe in election. The word election is in the Bible. Uh, The question is, what kind of election does the Bible teach? And there, some folks in the history of the church have differed. Unconditional election that the canons teach tells us especially uh, that salvation is God's plan God conceived it. It's his decision and choice more than it's the decision and choice of any human being. Or we might say it means that it's God's grace first, then our response. In limited atonement, we saw how sovereign grace is earned. And how is it earned? Well, it's earned through Christ. And it's actually earned. He didn't die just to make salvation possible so that we could then earn it. He died to accomplish salvation and earn it himself. And, and God, uh, the, the way I'd put it is God didn't send Jesus and as it were, cross his fingers just hoping beyond hope that someone would respond to Jesus' sacrifice. No, God's salvation is much more thorough and definite and purposed than that. Jesus came not to make salvation possible. Jesus came to actually save his people. In other words, all who respond to his call to believe. Now, the T of tulip, and and T is for total depravity, and this is about the need for sovereign grace. Just in case we wondered, this tells us just how badly we need God's grace. And it tells us what the Bible teaches us about that need, what the Bible teaches us about sin, really. And obviously, you might think this is a depressing topic. You might think, uh, well, what's there really to know? But it turns out that sin is a very complex matter. And, and, and the way that's pretty obvious from the Bible is if you, if you see all the words and descriptions uh, for sin in the Bible, 
uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are well over 30 different words for sin, uh, which would indicate that it's so important that we get this, that God wants to teach us about it in many ways, many times, from many different angles and perspectives. The Bible talks about sin as being broken, being blemished, missing the mark, wandering from the path, crookedness, rebellion, trespassing, debt, desolation. Those are just some of the more common and familiar ways that the Bible uses to talk about sin. Uh, and, and what's important in God's word, well, that's got to be important for us as people. And uh, so that's reason enough to look at this a little bit. And, you know, m- more than that, all, all we need to do is honestly look in our own hearts and lives to know just how multifaceted sin can be. You know it because you struggle with it. And so do I. It's not like some simple thing. Sin is it's shifty. It can be subtle, right? It can be, be sly and sneaky. Um, I think, too, of the fact that we live in a world, we live in a culture that barely knows the word anymore. What sin is and how to deal with it is not something we can gain any insight about from the world around us. And, and the opposite, really, given where the world is at with this, it, it, it more might mess up and skew our own view of the biblical idea of sin. And, and uh, Moody Monthly once had this to say about sin, and maybe you've heard something like this before. What is sin? Man calls it an accident. God calls it abomination. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it an error. God calls it an enmity. Man calls it liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it a trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it a madness. Man calls it a weakness. God calls it willfulness. When we, we, we really see this T of tulip or altip, we see how much we need God's grace and salvation. And if we can get that, you, you know what? Um, I'm thinking about it's November. It, if we truly get that, that's going to make us more thankful people, which is what the Christian life is all about. That's the heart of the Christian life, and, and this Thanksgiving season helps remind us of that. Learning about God's grace, learning about TULIP, and this particular topic tonight, you know, it's going to make us thankful Christians. Uh, so we're going to dig into that this just a bit for a bit tonight. What is total depravity not, first of all? Well, this does not mean that we're as bad as we can be. And that seems to be kind of a common misconception of the term. Uh, People are not depraved. They're not sinners in the sense that there's no hint of God's goodness in this world anymore, in the sense that there's no hint of of God's goodness in, in people's lives 
maybe this will help a little bit. But if you think of a bag of apples uh, from the store, um, where we buy it, it's, uh, it's, they're often at Aldi, it, it's in a netting. And maybe it often is. You open up that netting to get one, and, and think about seeing all these major rotted spots on the apples. And the, the first couple you see, then you dig in more, and you see that every apple has some rot on it. Uh, you'd say if you were a kid and your, your mom sent you to get the bag of apples for, uh, from the display, Mom, these apples are totally rotten. We can't buy these. But that's not the same as being absolutely rotten. If each apple were totally and wholly rotten, the bag would be absolutely rotten. There'd be like a a puddle of of rot, every part rotted. But in in a totally rotten bag of apples, the apples still would have some decent and good parts. Right? People are totally depraved, and it means we all have sin on us. We're all infected with sin's rot. But it doesn't mean we're absolutely depraved. It does mean that we're so sinful that we are totally stuck and totally mired in our sin um, and and that we can't get rid of this rot of sin that is in our lives. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, not even one. Uh, People can do nice things and good things, right? But not good in the ultimate sense of things that please God because of that rot that of sin that pervades us all. Romans 8, verse 8, those controlled by the sinful nature, which is everybody, cannot please God. And, and that's the true, that's the ultimate, that's the biblical sense of good. Pleasing God. And in that sense, without grace, without being a believer, no one does good. We notice people do good, and we talk about people doing good, but that's good in a relative sense, not in an ultimate spiritual sense. That's good in comparison to how most people live and act, and that's a certain definition of good, uh, but that's more, biblically speaking, good with quotes around it. It's not God's good. And he's our standard, right? Not other people, not the culture. And that's what total depravity tells us. Now, I, I wanna, what I want to do based on a, a book I once read is, is give uh, five biblical characteristics of sin and depravity that, that lead us to this idea of total depravity that we find in the canons. Um, and the first is that, and these are all based on, on Scripture texts. I'll sometimes mention them, sometimes not. Uh, one one bib- characteristic of, of us and sin and depravity is this, that we are deviants. Depravity and sin are closely related. Sin is transgression of God's law. Sin is getting off track. So deviance in, in the sense of deviating. We all deviate. We all get off track, right? That's, that's the root of being a deviant. And, and this... In this case, deviation from God's direction in our actions, our attitudes, our nature, 
either by doing or being what we should not do or be, we call those sins of commission, or by not doing or not being what we should do or be, sins of omission. Sin is in opposition to God. Sin defies God. Sin is trying to dethrone God and strives to place someone or something else on his throne. And to get at this idea, the Bible uses words like miss the mark, to transgress, to rebel, to disobey, to go against God. Total depravity means that we are lawbreakers, and as lawbreakers, we are deviants. Total depravity also tells us that our sin problem is more inward than it is outward. Do you know how a worm gets inside an apple? You might think that a worm comes from the outside and burrows in, but I'm told that's not what happens. Um, the worm comes from the inside, and it does that when, by an insect laying an egg in an apple blossom, and, and sometime later, as the fruit develops and grows, the worm hatches in the very heart of the apple and eats its way out. And there's an analogy there with sin. Sin also begins on the inside, in the heart, and works out, right, through our thoughts, words, actions. When we think of sin, you know, we tend to think of murder, stealing, adultery, but the Bible is so much more rigorous and and radical, and it tells us that uh, depravity is also in our thoughts, our ambitions, our decisions, our motives, our aspirations, and in fact, it all starts inside. Our hearts, more than anything, miss the target and want to go their own way. Jesus teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Tenth Commandment, do not covet, has taught that all along as well. One of the greatest biblical theologians ever has said that no one even knows 1% of his sin, which gets at just how off track we are. And we, we don't like to talk about that today, but I believe that that's true. Sin is that pervasive, that serious. We, most of the time, we're hardly even realizing the sin in our own lives. Uh, The biblical view of sin says we have two big problems in God's sight. We've got a bad record, and we've got a bad heart. And that second problem, the heart problem, is by far the greater of the two. And the Bible, we call that original sin. And actual sins flow from that. Martin Luther said, original sin in us is like uh, a guy's, a man's beard. We are shaved today and look clean. Tomorrow, our beard is grown again. It never ends. And it's the same way, in that same way, original sin can't be removed. It springs up as long as we live. 
Third, sin is amazingly thorough and inclusive. In other words, it impacts every part of us. It's not just inward and outward. It's every aspect of inward and outward. Our minds, our souls, our consciences, our, our emotions, our ambitions, our souls, uh, our, our physical parts, our wills. Uh, and this gets at that total depravity. It doesn't mean people are wholly evil in everything they do. But instead, it means nothing that we do is wholly good. A fourth of the five points. Sin completely cripples us. It messes us up. We're slaves to sin, says Romans 6. A slave is owned by someone else. He's property. Has no time, possessions, wealth of his own. The Bible says sin was our master. Sin was in control and owned us, and, and yet it gives you the impression all along that you were free and that you were in charge of your own destiny. Destiny Total depravity gets at that. Total entails also in this complete inability. We can't do anything ourselves about our condition. The Bible tells us and reminds us about a final major issue related to sin, um, and Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. It's deadly. And because of sin and its results, there is physical death in the world. But besides physical death, there's something much worse. Um, physical death is bad enough. Our body and souls are separated. But uh, worse than that is that each one of us has experienced spiritual death. Our, our, our soul being rent away from God, you might say. Um, and so sin is not something to toy with. It's something to take seriously. Sin is the path to death. It's deadly. So total depravity tells us what we're really dealing with when we talk about sin. And as disciples of Jesus... Uh, we want to know what he teaches as completely as we can. And, and the Bible gives us all these images and perspectives and illustrations, descriptions of sin to help us know what God really wants us to know. And, and, and what they all accumulate to do is tell us how lousy our situation is apart from God. And um, lousy is a mild word to use for it, given everything we saw in these last number of minutes, right? Uh, the Bible's teaching of sin tells us how much we need God's sovereign grace. We're deviants, it's true. Thankfully, Jesus came, and you know what? He never once deviated from the path. He never once missed the mark. Our problem is inward and outward, yes, but thankfully, Jesus came, not just in the body of a man, but also the soul and heart of a man, to take care of that problem of sin from the inside out by giving us new hearts. Sin is amazingly thorough and pervasive, but God's grace is greater than our sin. Sin cripples us spiritually, and, and so God picks us up, as it were, in Jesus. And that's what the cross is about, the atonement. Sin is deadly, but Jesus killed sin 
dead on the cross, and then he rose again to make us alive with him. Sometimes, right in our Christian walk, we're not as thankful or joyful as we could be. Uh, We're not as excited about Christ's church and mission and passion about it as, as we could be. Well, we, we need sometimes to be woken up so that we're not lethargic. You know, thinking of the Judges series and how that Barak guy in Judges 4 was stung by God's word. We need to be stung and jolted and woken up as Christians often. We need uh, to wake up to what we have now and what we're experiencing now compared to what we had before the Lord came in to our lives. Dramatic difference. And, and so I encourage you to look to Jesus tonight, look to the cross, look to God's grace, and, and then look back to where the Bible says we were on our own in our incredible need for grace and the Lord. And, and the result is that from there to today, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, everything is going for you as a believer and for me. Sin and death will still have uh, their influence and impact in our lives, but they've been defeated. They certainly will not have the last word in our lives or in this world. But God's grace will have the last word. And we've got it because of Jesus. And and so let's respond to his grace with thankfulness and obedience and joy and faith in Jesus and and live in in his great and marvelous grace uh, this week. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you that we can after knowing uh, the depth of your sin and uh, how much your word spends on that and the details of it, uh, thank you that after that, uh, you didn't just leave us there with this uh, miserable sin that's so thorough that results in in death, uh, that cripples us, um, that is in deep in our hearts and rooted there. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't left it at that. Thank you, O God, that you have rescued us um, and and give us a a true sense of your great grace. Uh, May it uh, put a skip in our step, uh, a smile and joy on our faces and, and a passion and excitement Uh, for your mission uh, to get this good news out there, to share it uh, so that many would know it. Bless us, Lord, and help us uh, to know what it means for each one of us uh, to live in your grace day by day. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.